and join us as we lift our voices in praise to our God. The music is still playing in my monitor. The music from the computer is still playing in my monitor. <laughs> That's not the song we're doing. It's going to be very confusing. <laughs> Here we go. Just like a tree that grows by the waters. Let the strong winds blow, I will not move. Just like a child secure in the love of a father. Never letting go. Yeah. 
speak now, for my soul is listening. Say that you have saved me. Whisper in the dark, the dark, I know you're more than my salvation. Without you, I am hopeless. Tell me who you are. You are the keeper of my heart. And I'm restless. I'm restless till I rest in 
I'd like to invite the ushers forward as we give back to God through our tithes and offerings. we uh, spend some time praying together, uh, if you would like to offer your prayers, uh, kneeling here at the altar rail or sitting in these front chairs, please come and join me as we pray together.
Most gracious Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather and worship today. We have come today with a variety of experiences this week. We've had successes, we've had failures. We have experienced some wonderful highs of joy. We have probably experienced some some difficult uh, depths of despair. We have wrestled with uh, with all of the elements of life. And today, Father, we come acknowledging how much we need you and expressing our gratitude and praise that you are here with us to cleanse us, to restore us, to heal us, to give us hope and life and joy in Christ Jesus. Father, as we gather today, there are many needs among us, and we lay them at your feet. We bring them to you and ask for your grace. We pray for all those who are grieving today, and we think especially of Joyce Fisher and her family. Minister your peace and your comforting presence to them and to all who are grieving. We pray, Father, for all who are struggling with health concerns today. We think especially of Phil Maine and Dan Gurley, Florence Tuber, Rosalind Danner, Isabella Doherty, Gus and Louise Princell, Nancy Cole, Peter Lingenfelter and Doris Esepian, Isla Shea, Sheldon Emerson, Bill Getty, Mike Raybuck, Bev Rett, Emily Cricklar, and others who may be on our hearts and our minds today. Father, we thank you for your grace to us in the, all of the needs and the burdens of life. As we embark on another academic year, we pray for grace upon all whose calling is to teach, upon all who come to learn, upon all who lead, upon all those whose task is to provide support to this whole process, and to all who are involved, and upon all of us, as we pray and love and encourage. We ask that you would do more in this year than we could have ever dreamed or imagined. Release your power into our needy, barren lives. Ground us firmly in you and in your spirit. Open our hearts to the touch of your holy hand upon us. We pray, Father, that you will light a fire in this place and in our lives, in this church, that will burn with passion and love and holiness that others here and even in places around the world might come to know you in a new and life-changing way. We think, Father, of this week before us, and we ask that, that your anointing will be evident as we meet for this special time. We pray for your anointing upon David as he speaks to us. We ask that you would anoint us as we listen to your word through him today and tonight and the next few days. We pray that you would be glorified in this time together and that we would be transformed as individuals, as a community, as wider communities, as your church around the world. Father, we pray not only for us and this church and this, this town and beyond, but also for churches around us. We pray today for the Trinity Church of Nunday, Pastor Ron Duttweiler. May your blessing and anointing be upon this gathering of believers as they worship you today, as they serve you every day. May they know the blessing of your Holy Spirit with them. Father, we thank you for the work you're doing around the world and, and for the privilege we have of being a part of that. As the dental medical team prepares for another trip in January, as they go to Haiti again, we ask that your anointing would be on their preparations and all that they are doing to be ready to serve you. We pray that the people there would, would already begin to anticipate their coming and that this would be another year of experiencing your presence and the work of your kingdom. And Father, we think of our brothers and sisters around the world who face great difficulties for following you. Today, as we focus on the church in Egypt, as they have endured centuries of ups and downs and minority status, we ask that you would bless the church there. 
We think especially of our sister Wesleyan churches. They have been granted this gift of land. They have been given permission to build a retreat center and a headquarters for all the Wesleyan churches there. It is a remarkable thing that this has happened. And as they have had a donor come forward to help raise funds, and as churches like ours are helping them in this project, we ask that you would bring about great blessing, miraculously supply the needs. And we pray, Father, for Reverend Killiff, who leads them, that you would bless them and that you would bless him as he works and serves. Father, we pray for your work throughout the world in places of tragedies and disasters. And we think even this week of the the, the tragedy of the Amish family just up Tucker Hill Road. We ask that your healing grace would be evident and present. We pray for refugees as they seek safe places to live. And we pray that you would bring an end to the war and the violence and the opposition that has forced them from their homes. We pray, Father, that you would bring peace in our world that is so needy. Father, in these times, in all times, help us to trust you. Help us to know your grace, that we might live in your peace and walk in your ways. And we ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who taught us to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture reading is John 2, verses 1 through 11. After the scripture reading, children ages 2 through 5 are dismissed for Children's Church, which meets on the first floor of the Christian Education Building. Following the tradition of the church, I invite you to stand, if you are able, for the reading of the gospel. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone who brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Be still, my soul, the Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief for pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change, he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul, 
thy best, thy heavenly friend, through thorny ways leads to a joyful land. Be still, my soul, thy God doth undertake to guide the future as he has the Thy hope, thy confidence, let nothing shake. All now mysterious shall be bright at last. Be still, my soul, the waves and winds still know. His voice to rule them while he dwells You got me on mic? Good. I uh, want to greet you on behalf of the church. Uh, you are a part of a network, whether you knew it or not, of churches throughout western New York and throughout the state of New York uh, and all across the United States and North America. And, uh, and in fact, 99 countries of the world have worshipped today, most of them already, <laughs> Uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And you are a part of that broader family called the Wesleyan Church. I work with that broader network and uh, want you to know that many, of, many know of you and are thankful for you and uh, hear of you. And I know people all around 
who at one time in their life were a student at Houghton and were a part of this church and now live uh, all around North America and all around the world. And some of them, even knowing I was here, said, oh, greet people there, or make sure you look at this, or, or told me some you know, trivia thing that I need to know about. And so I so want to greet you on behalf of the broader church. Today, I want to talk about two kinds of people. I believe everyone here is one of two kinds of people. I'm going to give you the first one right away, and then you're going to have to wait, wait a bit for the second kind of person. The first kind of person knows they are exhausted. Yeah, you guys are already exhausted, right? Anybody else feel a little exhausted? Yeah, yeah, Several of the children have a lot of work in their lives that I noticed raised their hand. I know uh, for me, I, I, I had this uh, just this last week. Have you ever had a moment where you just don't sleep well at night? Uh, I, I, who here had a great night's sleep last night? A couple people. Who here was like, it was average? Go like this. Yeah, average. Okay, who had a bad night's sleep? You'll admit it here. Yeah, bad night's sleep. You, you, these young boys over here really are, are tired. So no more hot cocoa right before bed, buddies. Uh, so I had one of those. I, I had meetings from 7 in the morning until almost 10 at night is when I came home. It was a very long day. So it's one of those days where you just hit the pillow and you go to sleep immediately. But then I woke up three hours later at two in the morning and I could not get back to sleep. And it was, I mean, it was so in the middle of the night and I had to get up early that I'm like, I I couldn't take a sleeping pill. I had to drive downtown Indianapolis. And so I'm like, I don't want to like be tired at the wheel. So I was just up at 2 a.m., which is not good. Because I had another full day of meetings. So I was, have you ever been in a meeting or any place or in class and you're just doing one of these? And I actually had a moment where I was completely out. And you ever woken up from that and you look around and everyone's looking at you? And you're like, did I literally snore in this meeting? And woke myself up. Uh, but what had happened is somebody had referenced my name. And, and praise the Lord, I, I had subconsciously knew the subject. And so I totally bluffed it. And I just talked about the subject. Uh, and I hope nobody noticed. Uh, I, I hate that feeling. But there's another level of being exhausted that I want to talk about. And it's not just simply being tired. On that day, I actually took my box lunch and I went to a secret place on the fourth floor of the building. And I literally laid down on a hardwood part of the floor and I laid down and I slept just in my clothes from the meeting. I slept on the ground, no pillow, no nothing. That's how tired I was. I slept for 20 minutes and went back to the meeting and I was fine. A little nap or a good night's sleep or a vacation can cure you of tiredness. I'm not talking about tiredness. I'm talking about being exhausted. I mean exhausting all of your resources so you have nothing left. I felt that way in my life in 2002. I felt like a failure. And sometimes you fail at something, and other times in your life you feel like you fail at everything. I felt like I was failing as a husband, as a father to my child who was almost two years old. I felt like I was failing in my work. I was failing in friendships. I just felt like nothing was working. In fact, uh, the place where I had, I had an office in an old school and I actually had, uh, so like my desk was here and the wind, the door had a window in it. So the window's right here and hardly anybody ever came to my office, but every once in a while they'd look in and they'd see me and wave at me and I'd come out and talk to them. Well, I was just so, so exhausted, not just tired that I just said, forget it all. And I actually took to work the Lord of the Rings. Seen the Lord of the Rings movie? There's actually a book. You can have all of the books in one. It's like a thousand pages long, this huge tome. And I took it to work. And I was so like fed up and ready to quit that I went behind. There was like a, a, a partition. I went behind a partition and I laid down on the ground, right? Some of you are thinking, you do this laying on the ground thing a lot, Dave. And I took the Lord of the Rings And I just read the Lord of the Rings for three straight days. Just why? Why the Lord? Because I was escaping from my reality. I had exhausted all of the resources that I had. So I had nothing left to give. And I actually went home 
at the end of that three days, and my wife and I were arguing about something, and we were so angry, and both of us felt like failures. And I actually, I actually, we were reorganizing. It was the first of January, and a day when you're supposed to be over at friend's house, having a cookout, watching football, and we were all alone, had no friends, and we're instead we're reorganizing a closet, and there were organizing bins on the ground, and I hit them against the wall. I was so angry at myself. And I broke several of them. And I, I didn't, I'd never done anything like that in my life. That outburst. I went into the garage and I sat down on a step and just wept. I was so broken. So exhausted. My wife came out and opened the door. She didn't say anything. She just put her hand on my shoulder. And we cried. Have you ever been that exhausted? Have you ever felt like that much of a failure? See, the beautiful thing is, we find it in this story. Jesus knows when you're exhausted even before you know. We see it in John chapter 2, when he's at this wedding. It's an amazing story. Uh, You heard it read to you a moment ago. But I want to point out a few things that happen. You see, when somebody's exhausted, Jesus notices and he shows up. He's always ready to lower a rope to those at the end of theirs. So if you feel that you're at the end of your rope, and if you feel that way in the future, Jesus is ready. The beautiful thing is, before Jesus noticed, somebody else notices. Now, I don't know about you, when you get ready for church, do you have what I have in my home? And that's a functional TSA agent. It's that person that looks at every person going out the door and checking to make sure everything's right, like whether or not they are wearing a coat when they should or that they have an umbrella or that their clothes match. They're the one that picks off the little piece of paper if somebody uh, has a shaving cut. I already saw one young man pointed at his mother. There's somebody in your family that's sort of like that TSA agent. And moms are often that, checking people over before they head out the door. There's this sense in which... They notice things others don't. And that's what Mary, the mother of Jesus, is in this moment. She notices. A mother notices what others miss. Don't they? And so here they are at a wedding. And everybody's having fun. They've already had the ceremony. And the mother notices what? They've run out of wine. And just imagine it with me if you need to close your eyes and just put yourself in the scene. Mary notices that, boy, a lot of these people, their cups are not yet filled. She notices that the waiters have gone into the kitchen and nobody's come back with pitchers. And she notices that people are trying to get the attention of the waiters and they're ignoring. So Mary notices what others miss and goes into the kitchen and she sees there that all of the waiters are in the kitchen with empty pitchers. And they say to her, without even being asked, I imagine, they have no more wine. We've run out. Everybody drank more than we thought. They didn't have enough money. Whatever the reason would be, they run out of wine. But Mary knows what to do, right? She right away goes over to Jesus at his table. We see it in the passage, right? Now imagine Jesus. It says that he and his disciples, he already has disciples before he has miracles, right? The teaching is already there. The miracles show up later. He has disciples. They're probably sitting around the table. I don't know. Peter is telling a fish story probably, right? (laughs) One that everyone there has heard before. And James and John probably are debating the details of how big the fish was. He's telling the story. And Mary just stands there trying to catch the eye of her son, Jesus. Because she knows and has noticed things about him as well that nobody else has noticed. And she just says a simple phrase... They have no more wine. And then Jesus does this interesting interchange with his mother. He says, why do you involve me? And he says this phrase, my time has not yet come. So apparently there's a time, there's a designated moment where Jesus is supposed to come into his time. There is a strategic plan for the incarnation where Jesus is going to come out and say, I am the Messiah or something. I don't know what it was. 
I know it makes sense to me that he wouldn't pick a secret water to wine miracle at a wedding in Cana in Galilee in the middle of nowhere. Maybe he was going to do it in the temple. Maybe he was going to go to Mount Sinai and kind of reenact something amazing. But instead, there's this situation. Mary doesn't argue with him. She goes back to the kitchen. She points out her son and says, do whatever he says. Which is an important instruction we see, correct? Because Jesus does do something. And here's what I want to point out. Jesus gets involved even though the time has not yet come. And this might fry your brain a moment. If some of you that think a little deeply on this, think deeply on it. Jesus rolls out his plan ahead of schedule. You hear me? There is a schedule, a plan, a time that has not yet come. And what does Jesus do? He throws out the plan. We don't even know what the plan was. We know what it ended up becoming. God changes his timetable based on the needs of this couple. So if you think God does not care about your issues, about your problems, about your level of exhaustion, I beg to differ. If you think that maybe your concerns are too trivial for God, well, guess what? These people could have gone home and not had any more wine. That's fairly trivial. But Jesus adjusts his master plan for our needs. And that fries my brain because I think of if God's going to make a schedule, he's going to stick to it. Apparently not. So bring your request to God. When you are exhausted, go to God with that need. Jesus goes into the kitchen and he tells the servants to fill these ceremonial jugs. You see it there in the passage about these, there's six of these and they're 20 to 30 gallons. So just to help you realize, this is actually about 100 and, 120 gallons here. And this would be like filling up the back of a Ford F-150 pickup truck. That's how much water it is. So first of all, it takes a lot of time, right? So either they're picking up those stone jars, which would be kind of crazy, and filling them up. Or they're using buckets, and they're sort of a bucket break brigade. Now think about it. People had already washed their hands and feet in these pots. They're going to leave and go home. They don't need to do this again. The servants are almost certainly thinking, why are we doing this? I know the lady told us to do anything he says, but really? This has nothing to do with wine. And, of course, people are trying to get their attention to get more. Their cups filled. So, think of this the next time God tells you to do something that makes no sense. Think of this the next time you feel like the hard work you're doing... Like the bucket brigade, the hard work you're doing doesn't seem to be having an effect on what you want. Anyone been there? When the hard work you're doing seems disconnected with the future reality you want, but you know that it's what you're supposed to do, keep doing it. That's what the servants did. They filled it up, they filled it up. They fill them all up. Jesus looks at these full six pots and what does he say? He says, serve. Now, I don't know what they said to Jesus. It doesn't record anything, but I know what their faces probably looked like, right? They're like, what? They're like, yeah, they're not that drunk. <laughs> they're going to know that the foot water is what we're serving <laughs> at the wedding. So what happens? They dip, they do it. Whatever he says, Mary commanded him. They pull out a pitcher, they take a cup, and it pours out dark. And by then they look up and Jesus is nowhere to be found. So they serve it. And they serve it, and guess what? It's not just wine, it's good wine. I mentioned how much their wine is. That's about the quantity. And I'm here to tell you, uh, God has an F. 150 Ford pickup truck bed full of blessing for our lives that is going to be completely unexpected. 
And I want to tell you, he brings that kind of quantity. Those of us who are a little older can look back and tell us these stories, right? They can look back and tell us how God provided at time and time again, oftentimes after some silly moment where you were filling up 120 gallons of foot water and God turned it into wine. Many of you have a water to wine moment. It was unemployed to the best job of my life. It was completely alone to I found my husband or wife. You have a blank to blank history to tell people about. But it's not just quantity. It's quality. Because when they bring out the wine, the master of ceremony says, this is better than the wine before. Most people wait till the end and they bring out the junk wine. Now I know that the people of Houghton Wesleyan Church may not be connoisseurs of different kinds of wine. But apparently, there was a Jesus cared about quality, not just quantity. Why would he do that? Only the best was enough. He didn't just want, see, here's the thing. He didn't just want to do a miracle that nobody noticed. He wanted people to know that God brings not just quantity, but quality in miracles. He brings quality to life. I'll confess I was in a run-out-of-wine moment in my life. It was technically grape juice because I was serving communion in a wedding. Now, I, in a wedding, I always want to make sure that I don't just give communion to the couple. I want to give it to the whole people attending and worship together. So we kind of did the things you do before communion, and people started to hand out the elements, and then I brought the couple, you know, they had like a nice little altar over here, right? And uh, so they're at the altar, and her train, you know, of her dress is way out here, and he's there in his tux. And I turned around to where the elements were, and I opened, they have these cool lids with, you know, communion sets, you ever seen that? I pulled the lids off, like a kind of a ta-da moment, right? Boop! And it makes that little ting sound that brass makes, ting! Empty. So the people that had prepared everything, this was my problem of not checking it beforehand, had prepared all of the elements and had forgotten to put it up on the stage. So you know, in a wedding, you're just wanting to make sure that nothing is bad. Like, for, for ministers particularly, you're just trying to not, like, say her name wrong or something uh, in the wedding and make the mother of the bride, you know, go up and smoke. So I'm like, what do I do? So here's my confession. So I took the stuff nobody could see, and I took it over to both of them, and I said, okay, now, so this is going to be the problem of the wedding. You'll tell this story later, but for now, I just need you to know I don't have any communion elements, so we're going to fake it. (laughs) So if you can take the element and kind of go and uh, take the cup, I, I sort of said this to them, and they're like, In that moment, they're like, they agreed with me. We had a little conspiracy (laughs) to defame the Lord's Supper, (laughs) pretty much, in that moment. So we kind of went through the moments, and I said, don't worry. After the wedding, you're going to do your pictures right here, and I'll go get elements, and then we can take communion then, and and I think God will forgive us. So (laughs) wouldn't it have been awesome if I could have just went poof, poof, you know, and had like the elements there and said, hey, no problem. So, that would have been a little tiny miracle, but here's the thing. God does little miracles like that. I told you about one kind of person earlier. There's a second kind of person. And many of you throughout this talk, if you're in a place of exhaustion, you're at the end of your rope, in your family, in your job, in your education, in your relationships, friendships, in your neighborhood, in your life calling... You've been thinking maybe you're at the end of your rope. But then there's the rest of y'all. The rest of you have been thinking, oh, this is a nice little message. And I'm sure it's helpful for somebody that's going through hard times. And maybe it'll be helpful for me if I remember it 20 years from now when I'm going through hard times. But the other kind of person, the first kind of person is those who know they're exhausted. The second kind of person, do you know who it is? It's everyone else that doesn't know they're exhausted. But they are. 
and that's the wedding couple. Just like the wedding couple in my little wedding where I defamed the Lord's Supper, didn't know the problem and the crowd didn't know. Do you see that in the passage? The bride and the groom never saw the miracle. The master of ceremony, it says, didn't know what had happened. It says it right there in your scripture if you want to look it up. How often is that the case? Where you have exhausted your resources and you don't even know it. Where you are one phone call from the doctor. One grade. One paycheck. One decision by your husband or wife. One incident or accident with your children. You are one secret being found out away from it all tumbling down and the cups being empty and you having nothing left. Think about it. What's the proper response? Well, if you're exhausted and you know it, Jesus can provide the quantity and quality you need to survive. But if you're exhausted and don't know it, which is all of us, all of us, It's time for humility. It's time for us to look for the ways in which God is providing little miniature miracles for us on a day-to-day basis that are keeping us sustained. It's, It's the time for us to rest in God's sovereign provision for our lives. That even every breath that comes from our lips is one that went in because of his grace. Amen? Every one of us is exhausted. The other proper response is for those of us who are servants. Those of us who do things behind the scenes. Those of us that are doing something that hardly anybody here knows to help other people. You hear me? It's the little things you do behind the scenes, like the servants at the wedding. Here's the deal. It's the servants who knew the real miracle, right? It's the servants who get to see the miniature miracles of our God. And we get to enjoy that wonderful grace to see that, to notice it. I know for me, I don't think anybody knows it, but I know of a couple whose lives were so messed up with one another that she hadn't kissed him in years. And he had actually moved out and was living with another woman. And he shows up on my doorstep because of our friendship and tells me about it, confesses it. He stays with me a couple nights. And I'm not a counselor, certainly don't know how to deal with that situation. But we just sat down and the two of them and me, his wife, who he was leaving, And we just prayed. They prayed more than me. It was mostly them just praying. And to be honest, the first hour of prayers were just anger. And the Holy Spirit showed up and turned that wrecked marriage into something. The people on Facebook never knew anything was wrong, right? We think we know about each other's lives, but do we? All the pictures looked like things were fine. But no, this was over. And I tell you what, the miracle that happened in that couple, and they're back together now, and they're raising their children, doing amazing things in their community, it's a miracle. And I dare say it's harder than turning water to wine. You get to notice when you serve the little miniature miracles that God is doing and to trust his sovereignty all the more. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray for you. Lord, we ask that you would make clear to us our exhaustion. We turn over all and any pride that we have that we were doing fine. None of us are doing fine. None of us can do it on our own. Lord, you sovereignly are perhaps performing miracles in our lives today to protect us. And there are those of us that might not even know you, Lord, 
who you are reaching out with your grace that prevents harm for us, to prepare the way for us, that maybe even helped us be in this room, this moment. Lord, we thank you and praise your name because you are the miracle maker. We pray that you would turn those situations in our lives from water to wine. And that we would do whatever you ask of us, no matter how crazy it seems. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain standing while we sing. sin runs deep, your grace is more, where grace is found, is where you are, Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. 
May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn His face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.